Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question stumped me, and so I looked more deeply into my faith, began to research the, the history of the Bible, the biblical canon, how it was put together and formed, and which books were in and which books were out, and what led that process. And then I began digging even deeper into the early church, into church history, in the history of the Reformation, what, what happened then and there. And in all of that, I encountered the Catholic Church. It looms large in church history, and there it was. And it was when I began to look into what Catholics actually believed, reading books by actual Catholics, meeting actual, real Catholics, that I realized that what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by evangelical convert to Catholicism, Catherine Whitaker, to talk about her faith journey, how she became Catholic on the eve of her wedding night, why she became Catholic, and how she kind of learned backwards as she fell into the faith and loved it more and more deeply, and how that really helped her to unpack her Catholic faith seeing the sacraments through the eyes of her, her children and teaching confirmation and first communion classes and, and learning from the, the questions that these, these kids had about their faith and how that really helped her to ask similar questions. It's an incredible faith journey of somebody putting Christ at the center of their story and following him where he leads. And that's what I love about stories like this. Uh, people who are who are fervently, honestly, humbly seeking after Christ and, gosh golly, end up Catholic. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. This conversation and all others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic who help to underpin this show and one-time donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. And I have two new people in those categories to thank and to welcome. Thank you, Rob, for your support of this show. And thank you, Chris, for your very generous one-time donation to the show. Guys, and I mean it, this isn't my full-time job, so your support really helps to underpin and to keep this thing going and growing. And if you believe in the the mission of this podcast, of this show, please do consider supporting the show at Patreon or on PayPal. Those links are in the show notes. Please do find them there. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Catherine Whitaker on her faith journey as she became Catholic and and, and fell deeper and deeper in love with the Catholic faith and the church founded by Christ. Please listen and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Just a reminder, if you are listening on podcast, thank you. Please leave a rating and a review if you're on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic. If you're watching this, well, hey, we're also on podcast. Everywhere fine podcasts are found. 
We're going to have a great time this week, friends. I am joined by Catherine Whitaker. She is an evangelical convert to the Catholic faith. She's an author, a speaker, a blogger, a Dr. Pepper super fan. More on that in a second, if we can. Uh, Mom of six and a joy to follow on social media. Uh, Absolutely, an absolute joy. Uh, Catherine, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Welcome and hello. Thank you. Thanks for it. It's too bad we uh, can't have a real Dr. Pepper, so I guess we'll just have one virtually. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Listen, I want to start there. I do because, so where I'm from up here in Canada, uh, in the province I'm from, we we call it pop. I don't know what you guys call it down there. And in parts of Canada, it's different too. So it's different everywhere. Like you see these surveys of what they call it, and it's different all over North America. We call it pop. And it's not super popular up here. Uh, You can get it. It's available everywhere but but not a lot of people drink it so when i when i when i followed you and and found out that you were a dr pepper super fan because i think you you i don't know how often you post about dr pepper but i've seen quite a few posts but i thought like she really likes this and then i read she your bio likes that. Yeah, like wow okay so you really are a fan i was so excited because not a lot of people in my circle love dr pepper but uh, but it's my favorite pop and I think it's yours. You got to make the circle bigger. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, this it's is, okay. It's yeah, okay. The whole purpose behind inviting you on the show is just to increase that circle of Dr. Pepper fans in my life. So thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Yeah. So we call it in Texas, we call it, they're all Cokes. And then when you go get someone a Coke, you say, what kind do you want? And then everyone says Dr. Pepper. It's wow. just a weird thing yeah, we do. I that's know. A, that's amazing. Well, it's different everywhere. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's pop where I'm from. It's soda one province over. Right. So it's, Yeah. That's great. They're all Cokes. Wow. I learned something. They're all Cokes. Yeah, learned something. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. But Pepsi makes Dr. Pepper. I don't even understand that. Actually, yeah. they don't. What? They, some Pepsi, I know some Pepsi <laughs> bottlers are given the rights to bottle Dr. Pepper, but they're actually owned by Snapple. Um, but Dr. Pepper started as their, uh, this is now a Dr. Pepper <laughs> super fan account. <laughs> yeah. So that's the misnomer. Everyone thinks if you carry Pepsi, you automatically carry Dr. Pepper. It's just a partnership what? that they have. But yeah, they're not a Pepsi product. I, I know it. I can't even believe it. Your mind this. is blown now. It really is. We're going to end this thing right now. I can't even understand <laughs> oh my gosh okay well th- this is going in a whole new direction now this this one this because i we're, yeah <laughs> dr pepper super fan account yeah okay wonderful wow well okay <laughs> now we can talk about jesus now that we have dr pepper out of the way yeah yeah the next most important thing would be our lord and savior jesus christ awesome well let's dig in there so i mentioned off the top that you are an evangelical convert to catholicism i i, I am as well my wife is uh, a lot of listeners to the show are in that camp or, or or dipping their toes into that camp, kind of looking at the Catholic faith like like I did, like maybe you did, and going, oh, there's more here than I, I thought there was, right? I think for a lot of us, clearing up those those misconceptions and those misunderstandings goes a long way when you realize what you thought this thing was. And so that's kind of the purpose and the point behind this show, what, what I do here. And I want to hear about, about your journey, if you clearing those things up it i think listeners will love it uh the the tagline i think that you the the teaser that you provide for for readers of of your of your work in your bio is is you converted like the night before your wedding or something at the rehearsal dinner which i think which sounds really interesting so so there's a good teaser why don't you take us back as far back as you want to go and just talk about maybe your faith uh up to you know, that point. I mean, I think one of the cool things that certainly opened my eyes uh, to the Catholic faith is when people who are serious, committed, 
Christians, evangelicals, become Catholic. Like that's a wait a minute, <laughs> that happens, and 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 that's got some weight behind it. So let's hear a bit about your faith upbringing. Maybe you weren't a serious evangelical. I'm making some assumptions here, but maybe I shouldn't. But take us back a little bit, and then let's go forward and and and, and hear your conversion story, your your faith journey here, as it were. Yeah, you bet. So I've actually been baptized three times. So as a baby, I was baptized in the Methodist church. And that was a big part of our growing up when I was younger. In late elementary school, I was a Nazarene. So very evangelical, like speaking in tongues kind of place. And then in high school, I moved to the Disciples of Christ Church. So I was baptized. Then I was baptized Nazarene. Then I was baptized Disciples of Christ, which... Maybe probably if people aren't familiar with that, be like Lutheran, probably Lutheran lot, maybe. (laughs) And um, yeah, so the beautiful part is that every time that a pastor would change, then we would change churches. So there were lots of Sundays that we would drive down the street in our little town. And my dad would say, what church do you guys want to go to every Sunday? So we went to church every Sunday, but it may not have always been the same church. And then when I went to college, I went to a non-denominational Bible church like you do in college. And I met this really cute boy who was big blue eyes, big biceps. And so I asked him, I was like, so uh, we met on a blind date and I said, so, you know, where do you go to church? And he said, I'm Catholic. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds fun. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so fast forward three and a half years, we dated a while in college. And then we decided when we got engaged that I was going to be the one to become Catholic because he made it very clear that he was not changing. (laughs) So to me, it was no big deal. I had been a member of so many churches that I was like, what's one more? And then I asked him clearly, I said, so when do I get baptized? And he said, I think you're good, Catherine. Like, that's not really the way it works. So the reason that I was confirmed an hour before my rehearsal dinner is we chose, we got engaged over New Year's Eve and chose to get married in July. So I had already missed RCA or the bulk of it. And the priest was very gracious and allowed us to go ahead and allow me to be confirmed uh, that hour because he was in town. So confirmed me and then we had the rehearsal and then my First communion was also my wedding day, and I at least had on a white dress. And uh, yeah, so that's the short story of how I became Catholic. And then a few years later, my brother converted to Catholicism, and then both of my parents converted about nine years ago. So we are a big family of converts. And, you know, Scott and I, Scott's my husband, we have six children. So we're, golly, how old are they now? Uh, Seven to 20. So first grade to college. And uh, yeah, we've built this big, beautiful, messy, chaotic life. Our fifth baby was born premature. So we did a little stint in the NICU and certainly our Catholic faith uh, and, and the sacraments and the big pieces of our Catholic faith carried us through some really joyful times in our marriage and certainly some really difficult times too. So I'm not changing, <laughs> not joining any more churches. This is it for me. But I do love that I grew up with so many different ways to worship the same Jesus and then landed in the place that God needed me to be. That's incredible. So it wasn't as if it was a big leap to become Catholic. You didn't have any of these hangups that or prejudices that, that were like, oh, Catholics are not even Christian. I mean, you met this guy and, and you weren't, immediately turned off that he was Catholic. It wasn't like it was a, it was a, a non-starter for you. Being- well, he wasn't weird. Like he was normal. And at least where I grew up, we did know a couple of Catholics, but it was very Baptist heavy. 
but I never heard anything bad about the Catholic Church. So when I met him, I was like, oh, that's just, I didn't really understand the Pope. And there were a few things like when we got married, I was like, oh, I don't really believe that, but it's fine. So it took us a long time, us, me, a long time to embrace a lot of the teachings of the church. And that just took time, maturity. I asked a lot of questions. We were volunteer youth ministers and high school kids asked the best questions. And so they'd ask me and I'd be like, uh, I don't know why we believe that, but let me figure that out. So I dove into it because of 16-year-olds. So I fell in love with a cute boy on a blind date, became Catholic, and then a bunch of 16-year-olds catechized me. So uh, I probably did it backwards, but I really think that that slow process of falling in love with the church was the way that God intended it for me. I don't know if he intends it for everyone that way, but it was and is continues to be a really beautiful journey. And in a weird twist of fate, I now teach confirmation. I'm a catechist, so a teacher for high school kids preparing for the sacrament of confirmation, which is a really cool thing. <laughs> That's incredible. Let's talk a minute about that because some people might, might hear that and go, well, well, no, you can't just you c- convert and figure out the theology afterwards. But there's something really interesting about that because, I mean, you, you can in a sense, and I think that a lot of, uh, of us who are converts experience this, that, that once you... Uh, agree that the Catholic Church is where you should be, you believe that it is what it says it is, the, the church founded by Christ, that it's continued through the ages, well, you can then join and go, yeah, they got these things right. I don't have to get them all right right away. I can join and kind of figure that out if you trust that initial claim. Is that something that you experienced? Because it sounds like you joined not having everything figured out. Well, I don't think... Well, I'm making a big assumption here. I don't think anybody has it all figured out. I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed. I mean, we'll just take our 16 year olds, 15 year olds who are going through confirmation. They have a lot of questions about the church and I'm betting that they receive the sacrament of confirmation with still a lot of lingering questions. So I just was honest and open and saying, listen, there's a lot of stuff that I'm still struggling with and that I don't get, but I believed enough about the church that I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I was... I was really lucky enough, I guess, blessed enough to have people in my life who spoke really beautiful truth to me, but not in a shameful way, but like, let's figure this out together kind of way. And I think that made me more open to sharing my faith in a less like, this is the way that you must do it. And hey, let's talk about that because it's the way that I was introduced to the faith. And it's the way that I think most people want to be introduced to Jesus. They don't want you to shove Jesus down their throat, but they're like, hey, we disagree about this or maybe we don't see eye to eye. So let's like hash that out. Let's talk about that. And I think that there's a lot of us that are still working through things in the church, like different seasons of our life or different experiences. And we're like, we have our aha moment. We're like, okay, now I get it. And so I'm just honest, <laughs> I'm a bad liar. So I just tell people that I'm struggling. And, uh, and I think it's led me to some really beautiful places. Yeah. yeah I love that. I, I, I had a conversation a, a while ago on the show uh, when we were starting out, hundred episodes ago or so, and it was kind of embarrassing because it's really old back in the archives, but about Mary with two converts. And one was a Muslim convert and one was this a former Protestant pastor convert. And I said to them, guys, how did you deal with Mary? Because for, for so many evangelicals, it's a huge stumbling block. Like we're, it's taught to us. It's ingrained that we don't, we don't make idols of anything. Like Christ is the only thing and everything else that could possibly be an idol is terrible and evil. And there is a, a that's important. That's true. That's, that's a good truth. But then that becomes 
this allergy to things that that even the first Christians would have said, well, that's okay. We can we can pray to somebody. We can ask them to pray for us. How did you begin to work out some of these things that that clearly you you hadn't and I hadn't either decided that yes, I love this thing fully. I agree with this thing fully before you convert, but you convert and then work that out. How do you struggle, or how did you, or and continue to, I, I'm sure as I do, struggle through some of those things as you encounter them in the Catholic faith? Well, Mary was probably, she's been the longest standing struggle of yeah, mine. Yeah. Um, that was not a teaching that I really embraced until just, I mean, I would say recently, I did actually, uh, let's see, it was almost a year ago on Sirius XM, I did a three-day special on why she matters, Mary, why she matters was the name of it. And I explored apparitions and I explored devotions. I talked to Father Michael Gately about the consecration of Mary because consecrations felt very foreign to me. Um, I spoke with Father Rob Galley as sort of about a mother's love. And I spoke to a religious sister because I said, in sisters, I see a little bit of Mary, just like with priests, I see a little bit of Jesus. With sisters, I sort of get a glimpse of Mary. So I visited with all those people, and I think it was really through that process that I started to say, maybe maybe I need to think about her differently. There's actually a course that Father Rob has that's called Knowing Mary, and it felt relatable. And he said something to me that gave me a lot to chew on, is he said, you can't love Mary too much. And the way that he framed it is he said, if she is Jesus's mom and she loves him, exponentially, you know, these just probably bigger than we can imagine. He said, it's not possible for you to love her more than she loves Jesus. So I think that was a good sort of analogy for me to kind of embrace and kind of wrap my head around the fact that sometimes it takes people time. I mean, it it took me having a baby in the NICU and the neonatal intensive care unit it took me having kids go through hard, difficult things to maybe, I think, develop the heart of a mother. And then as I began to explore my relationship with her, it all started to make a little bit more sense. So, I mean, I think at least in the ter- in, in terms of church teaching, I mean, I think God does give you experiences or opportunities when that teaching comes up for you to say, maybe what you thought isn't the totality of that teaching. And he kind of pushes and forces you to do it face to face. So I had a priest tell me one time, he said, it's not enough to say that you're struggling with something. He said, if you're struggling with something, then you should be seeking out ways to understand it. You can't just be like, oh, I'm struggling with that. So that also gave me pause to think, well, if I keep saying that I'm struggling with Mary, then I got to do something about it. And so she's been very patient with me because I'm a slow learner. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I one of my good friends, John Mark Grodi, uh, once said to me, "This thing is, this is stuck with me for forever since he said it." The idea that you can't you can't commit murder by accident, like you can't you can't worship a saint by accident, you can't worship Mary by accident, right? Yeah. And I said, "Well, John, that's manslaughter. You can commit murder by accident. It's called manslaughter." And he goes, "Oh yeah, I'll get that's a good point, but but besides the point, besides the point, you can't you can't you know worship." Mary by accident, right? If if you intend to worship her, you would worship. If you if you're trying to ask her for for her prayers or or talk to her to to talk to her son like that, you, you know, you if you're worshiping her, it's it's intentional. There's intention behind that. And you can't do that by accident. So that was a a, a fantastic point. I, I love that, and that sat with me for for a long time. Thinking even with the saints too. I mean, and that again is that something that was quite foreign to you too? Because I know for me, the, the idea of the saints, like we. 
we had we had authors we read as evangelicals and these great Protestant authors and, and, and missionaries and, and early church early church being like the 1800s right or the Reformation like, like Luther or these these figures we read but the, the saints were a whole other category of things becoming Catholic do you have any sense of the saints before you converted? I didn't know they existed. Yeah. I was like, I don't even know what y'all are talking about. And then I found out about them and I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> um, and then, and then we went to Italy. Uh, let's see, I've been Catholic four years and we went to Italy. Maybe, is that right? Yeah. Four years. And uh, we went to these churches and of course we, I know oh, this now yeah. that we have relics, yeah. but then some of them are on display and I'm like, looking at the head of St. Catherine of Siena, and I'm like, Catholics are so weird, man. So it, uh, but now that I'm thinking about it, I actually had a long struggle with, with a lot of things in the church. That's but, great. That's great. But then I mentioned our NICU baby. We had a really personal interaction with St. Therese of Lisieux when I was uh, 12 weeks pregnant with him. We were in Lisieux in France and then Luke was born early and she was just sort of the saint that just kind of stuck out to me and developed a really beautiful, meaningful relationship with her, which has really evolved over the last 12 years. And that's when saints became a little bit less weird. And then of course my kids are in Catholic school. So they do these saint projects. And then I started learning about their lives and then they started feeling less weird and more relatable because maybe I was hearing about, I don't know. I mean, I just think you hear some of these stories. Like we were at, we randomly ended up at Padre Pio's canonization, which is crazy to me. Whoa. And, uh, and I'm like, he locates. How, how do you even do that? So fascinating to me. And, and the more, I mean, as soon as I learn about another saint, I'm just, I think what I'm endeared to the most is that they really are real people. They're not a, they're not a biblical character in the sense that I'm talking about the recent ones, but they felt like attainable. Like, I don't know if I, if I listened to Jesus enough, if I dedicated my life to him enough, I, it's possible that I could be a saint and, and it's possible that I could pray for my children or the people in my life that I love to be saints. And so that's been a really fun twist of events that I did not expect all those years ago when I first found out about saints. That's, that, that's incredible. I, I, yeah, I stumbled backwards with the saints in a very, in a very similar way. I'll never forget. I, I was looking at becoming Catholic and listening to all kinds of, uh, YouTube was in its infancy. So I was watching all kinds of YouTube videos. I guess I was binging before binging was a thing. I was binge watching these different lectures and stuff on, on YouTube and listening to podcasts, which were things you had to download onto your computer and then plug a thing in and to transfer onto your iPod. It was very complicated and I was very committed to, to exploring the Catholic faith. And I heard about saints and I heard about this idea that uh, St. Teresa of Lazura sends you flowers if you mm-hmm. right often and I'd, I'd heard this and I said this isn't this isn't a thing this is this sounds really goofy what are these guys talking about and I remember just saying well okay if this is a thing like you know please pray for me and send me a flower <laughs> and I was at the gym because I used to go to the gym before we had kids and I'm on the treadmill and and minutes later after this little prayer this giant picture flashes on the screen of this this missing elderly woman who'd wandered from her house in the cold of winter up here in Canada. And she was wearing this giant flower toque, this huge winter hat, wool hat, with a giant flower on the top. Like, and you couldn't avoid it. It was right there in the middle of the screen, front and center, this old lady 
uh, looking really goofy with this giant hat on. And I just laughed out loud at the gym on my treadmill, almost fell off the treadmill. Because here was this ridiculous, almost as if, you know, the answer to the prayer was just overly comical. Like it wasn't even like, oh, here's a little rose sent to you by somebody. Now here's this giant comical flower just to show you how, you know, you think it's ridiculous. Well, here, it is ridiculous. Look at this. <laughs> and it was just incredible. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds maybe a bit nutty to the non-Catholic listener, but we can get to know these these saints and we can get to learn their lives and and really have these encounters with them, right? Like you, well, I mean, you, I think it's a little bit like maybe reading a book and you fall in love with a character because there's things in yeah. there that maybe you see yeah. in yourself, except the difference is, is when you fall in love with these characters, they were actually really real people yeah. that Jesus really created. He's the divine author. So I think that's what makes them so endearing to learn about. And we have similar, I think it's chapter 10 in my book. I, I have, the, we have a massive rose story with St. Therese. And uh, I think that's why we're so drawn to them is because we see a little bit of ourselves, a little bit of holiness that God is trying to pierce through all of our chaos in our lives and reminding us like you're really called to be a disciple and you're called to be a saint. Don't forget that. And for me, it's, it's humbling to think, does Jesus really desire that for all of us? And I mean, I think that he does. And I just, I think once you learn about one or two and then, and then you find out that there are thousands and then your mind is sort of blown. And then you start to want to read about these people who live these ordinary lives and make extraordinary sacrifices for Jesus in big and small ways. It's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal actually how, how he draws that out of people. Does that for you, I mean, cause that's for me uh, really in, enliven your faith because I, I'm thinking of it this way. Prior to becoming Catholic, as a, as an evangelical Christian, you aspire to be like Jesus. You aspire to to live a holy life as a disciple of Christ, and and live in a way that reflects His love, and, and read your Bible, and pray, and and take care of your neighbor, and all these these things that the Christian does. But the example, I mean, the 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 goal is kind of abstract in a little bit. When you have the saints, you like you said before, you have the really you have real people, real real people who lived and died and have these biographies that you really can, uh, the, the church tells us, emulate and end up being, you know, the best kind of Christian possible, right? For me, that's a real that's a that's a much more um, meaningful, much more organic, authentic target than kind of an abstract, just be a good Christian kind of target. Does that, that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, and I, and I, I don't want to lead in anyone astray to think that, that I care more about the saints than I do about Jesus. Yeah, I think yeah, what I yeah. see in them is I see bits of Jesus. I yeah. see, I see him working in somebody else. I mean, we've all seen that. Like somebody's done something, we're like, you were 100% Jesus to me yeah, today. Yeah. Or if Jesus were standing in front of me and saying that, he would have said exactly that. I mean, we are conduits. It even says that in scripture, you know, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So if that's the case, we must also be the hearts and the minds, you know, and the souls. So I think that they are just an outward expression of who we aspire to be. Um, and if we're not, I think it was Bob Goff who said this. He's one of my favorite authors. He says, when you tell people about Jesus, if they know more about your story and less about Jesus, you're doing it wrong. And so I think the saints remind us that their stories tell us more about Jesus than they do about them. And I think that's what makes them so great. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point. One of the things you mentioned before that that I want to dig in a bit more to is the idea of, like, so often the idea of of leaving an evangelical faith and becoming Catholic is this kind of um, th- this thing versus this thing kind of conversation. Like, okay, so I believe this doctrine, I believe this, and you're and you're kind of pitting two belief systems kind of against one another. Uh, normally, there's a process of formation, the RCA you mentioned before, the rite of Christian initiation for, for adults that you go through that kind of unpacks the Catholic faith kind of bit by bit. You mentioned that you missed you missed that process just based on the, the timeline. I did I did go back and do it eventually. You did do it, okay. <laughs> I did, did do it, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to out you or something like, oh my it's gosh, okay. how okay. did you get in? Was it a, was did that process exist for you though as you were becoming Catholic or was it more like, it sounds much more organic for you that just you kind of you 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 met a guy who attracted you to the faith and it just seemed like well th- this this makes sense was it like that or were there things that you were that you were pitting against each other and trying to see which which landed which made more sense you know for me it's always been about Jesus like. Yeah. Even even with and, and a decent amount of our friends are Protestant. To me, it's always been who's your savior? You know, who's the guy who gives you life and who who will you rest in eternally? So if it's the same Jesus, then I think that we sometimes we meaning maybe Catholics or theologians or whatever sometimes get caught up in all the details. Like here's the list; these things must get checked off. And I'm not much of a I'm not much of a rule follower, but I do think that if you can get the Jesus thing right, then everything else is figure outable. So for me, it wasn't so much like, how does this teaching in the Catholic Church compare to my teachings as uh, one of many other branches of the Reformation movement? Um, It was more about where are we similar and let's start there and focusing less on the dissimilarities. So that's sort of my personality is I tend to say like, where, what do we have in common? And I think when you can embrace and really build on the commonality, the differences become less of an issue because the big picture, Jesus, heaven is the part that you're getting right. And I certainly do believe in the totality and in the fullness of the faith. So while I loved being Protestant. I know that there are things that I receive, graces that I receive in the sacrament that really kind of give me the totality of my faith so I can appreciate that part. But I think you got to get the Jesus part, the relationship part right first, and then figure out some of the details. So for me, it was never a big hang up of you're doing it this way and I'm doing it that way, but how are we doing it similar and I think it was, you know, my senior year in high school, my Sunday school teacher sat us down. There were like six of us, I think. And he said, all right, so what do you guys want to do this year? And we had a real strong desire to go see how other people worshiped. So that entire year, so we would go to Sunday school, we would basically leave campus and we would go to somebody else's church and they were anything and everything in the panhandle of Texas. And then we would come back and go to our church service. I learned so much about how people worship and it gave me such a great appreciation for how people love their creator that I think it, it really changed me and how I view the, this versus that I'm just not a, this versus that kind of gal. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. That's an awesome example. and Awesome. Awesome way of doing that. I, I love that. Cause so often, I mean, I, I, I have an equal number of friends who ha- who love their faith as who have left the faith in, in more recent years. You hear all these deconversions, right? They're kind of rampant right now. And and 
so many of these stories that that I have followed, I've had some people on this on on this program talking about their deconversions. So many of these stories are, are so similar to to my journey becoming Catholic. But at a certain point, we diverge, and and I go one way deeper, I think, into a relationship with Christ, and and they kind of leave that relationship for all all kinds of different reasons. It, it's interesting to to watch that and, and dissect that, but it's. It's this kind of journey, and it's this kind of what I think so often. What I was, what I was leaving to become Catholic, the same kind of thing that they were leaving to to become nothing, and it's this very small view of what Christianity is, right? It's just this small church we are a part of, or this small denomination we are a part of, and that so often for people is all of Christianity. But you kind of you, you step back, and now as a Catholic, I recognize this a bit more clearly because I have a bit more perspective. You step back and go, "Oh, that was just this one church in this one town. Other churches do this differently. Other denominations do this differently, or, or Christians throughout time do this differently." But it takes that perspective to see that that your way of doing Christianity isn't the way that everybody else does it, or is doing it, or has done it before. So when you say that that awesome exercise of going to see different churches and your experience kind of growing up of going to different different churches, that does give you an awesome perspective to be able to see that the faith is different in, in, in different places, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's always curious to me when I visit with someone and they've only gone to, to one church. And it's so foreign to me. Like I... I really have a difficult time saying, but you don't, you've never been, you didn't. And I realized that God gave me a gift and being able to experience all that. My best friend is Jewish and it was great. She invited me to come to her father's Shiva, which is the traditional mourning period after someone passes away. And we go to her boys bar mitzvahs and she comes to our boys sacraments and it's a really beautiful symbiotic relationship. And I think we are scared to open ourselves up, and this is not just in faith, but this is in in every area. We have our bubbles, right? Yeah. And our bubbles feel safe and they feel protective. And we're afraid to bust out of that bubble sometimes to see how other people feel or think or what they've experienced. And I think instead, we, maybe sometimes we feel threatened and I say, man, that's an opportunity to grow and just how much God affects people in so many different ways. Like, why are we afraid to hear that? Why are we afraid to experience that? And I think it only enriches our faith. I think it only makes us love the people of God better. And I think, I don't think we do a very good job of loving people. And that's not my faith. My faith is one of radical love, which makes people uncomfortable (laughs) and causes us to stretch and grow. And that is never easy. And that is always painful, but it's always fruitful. And I think those were some of the fruits that came from that experience of growing up in all those different churches. But I'm not naive enough to believe that I still have a lot more room to grow. I have a lot more things to learn, a lot more friends to make, a lot more things to discover. And that's a really cool part of being Catholic is there's always something new to discover and there's always somebody else's life that you've never heard of before that will enrich your own if you just take the time to listen. Yeah, that's fantastic. And one of the one of the neat things about that too is how enormous the the Catholic faith is, right? I I was first catechized by a priest in the Netherlands listening to a podcast right back in back in ages ago now plugging my my iPod into the computer and downloading it every morning before I went to work 
and listening to this this Dutch priest catechize me in the faith all the way from from Europe, from Netherlands. I didn't know this guy. I didn't, I didn't even know what Catholics were all about. And listened to him every day and began to learn about the faith. And it it from from an early stage of looking into the Catholic faith, it, it impressed upon me how enormous the faith was, like how universal it was all across the world, and how different expressions of this same Catholic faith can, can pop up everywhere. But we're all still Catholics in that in that we also have the sacraments, right? I, I was I was just thinking of how amazing it is that the, the Catholic Church is so big and just spans so many different places and people and, and and times. You can spend your whole life just meeting other Catholics from different uh, different countries and learning about the faith in those countries. Never mind digging into the history of those places and the saints from those places. It's, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Right. Yeah, you know, we went to World Youth Day in 2002, so that's when it was in Toronto, Canada, actually. Yeah, hey. And we were in the middle of some military airfield. Yeah, there were yeah. a million of us, and there were tornadoes that were rolling through. It was insane. <laughs> but I do remember there was a key moment. Uh, at, at that time, Pope John Paul II was Pope. And we were praying the Mass. It was rare because he was doing it in English, so we understood most of what was going on, which was delightful. But I remember looking around and I mean, we were surrounded, I mean, you name a country and they were around us and everyone knew what to do. And that kind of blew my mind to think that over a million people had gathered from around the world and here we were celebrating this mass and everybody knew what to do. Everybody was bowing in the same moment. You know, the words were coming, even though they were coming in different languages and it was so universal like physically universal that I was really blown away. That was my first real up close and personal interaction of what does a universal church really look like? Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I mean, because you go to, I did at least as in, in, in my YouTube experience as an evangelical, you go to different churches sometimes, these different, uh, and I'm sure you know this, these different great big youth rallies and these kinds of things. And depending the denomination that was hosting the rallies, it could be a little bit strange and, and foreign to how you normally worship. I mean, we were part of, a, we called it Baptocostals, Pentecostal in in name, yeah. but, you know, it, it, was, it was flags every other Sunday and only one older lady spoke in tongues and there's no interpreter. So she was kind of shuffled off into the back of the room when she started speaking in tongues. So we weren't really Pentecostal in more than name, but we'd go to these Pentecostal youth rallies and there were some really Pentecostal churches that were there. And it was always a little bit like, I didn't know, what quite what was going on because express and, and and that's made different than the idea of the mass being universal but there's this great uh, enormous experience of of you can go to mass in any in any any country anywhere and it is largely the same liturgy is the same language could be different and there could be different expressions of that faith but it's it's the same and that that feels right that feels like what the church mm-hmm. Uh, you know what the church I- intends to be in its its in its most proper form, if, if I can say it that way. No, I agree. It's uh, it's one of my favorite things about being Catholic is that no matter where I go, it is the same. It's a different flavor. It's a different um, experience. You know, masses in different countries or even in different churches here in Austin. I mean, I know we went down. Uh, to the traditionally Black Catholic Church, and we've taken our kids. You know, there's a 
a kind of an area, they're called the painted churches in Central Texas. So they're kind of born of immigrants from Germany and other places, and they all have their own flavor. I mean, it's still the rubrics of the mass are still the same, but you really see the cultural influence. And it's pretty awesome, actually, to see the the uniformness that brings us together, but the individuality that God gives us and it comes through in the mass and it's pretty, it's pretty great. Actually. It's one of my favorite things about the church. Yeah. I think that's incredible. Okay. You pull no punches. I don't think so. Let me ask you this question. Okay. Really bad Catholics. There's a lot of really bad Catholics. I I, I met a lot of these. Maybe you didn't meet them before you became Catholic, but maybe you know them now. Before I became Catholic, like I, the joke that I always make is when I was when I was in high school, I was into the punk rock scene, and I was I knew a lot of people who were pretty rough around the edges, and I was in that in that camp. But the guys who knew where to get, say, the best drugs were always the guys from the Catholic high school, right? You, and you knew them. They'd come in their uniforms to these, these punk shows, their Catholic school uniforms, and those are the guys that are always out back smoking, hiding the flask in their, in their pocket, who knew where to, to get the good stuff. And that was my impression of Catholics for a long, long time, because I didn't meet these, I didn't meet a lot of good Catholics for a long time. I met these kind of bad Catholics, and... As an evangelical who was taking my faith seriously, uh, you know, reading my Bible, going to youth group, going to Sunday, uh, going to church like once, twice on Sundays, on, on Wednesdays, right? Trying to live that that Christian life, uh, going to the Christian club on at school on on Thursdays, trying to live that Christian life and evangelize and wear my what would Jesus do bracelets around and my my, my t shirts, right? I, that for me was. Was those those guys who are Catholic? These they're not they're not even Christian. Never mind Catholics. I'm sure you've never encountered this before, but I wonder what you'd say to somebody who's listening, who's looking into the Catholic faith and going, "Yeah, that's all I know about Catholics too." Are these bad Catholics? What do we make of that as people who are trying to love Jesus and follow Him? Well, I guess I would argue that we're all bad Catholics because we all have room to grow, yeah. and some of us just have more room to grow than others. I mean, I think that when you encounter people who maybe aren't embracing the majority or all of the tr- of the teachings of the church, I think a couple of things are happening or there are a couple of things maybe that we can consider doing. One is, I mean, I, I think that maybe they haven't had great role models um, to say, you know, that thing that you're doing isn't leading you to Jesus, but I know this thing that you might want to do that, that could lead you a little closer to him. Um, and I think also there may be some trauma involved. Like maybe they do this thing because I, I, in fact, I shared this on social media not too long ago. We were talking about Catholic schools and I had a friend message me and she had a really horrible experience with Catholic schools. And, and, and quite frankly, I find it on it uh, just amazing that she still sits in the pew um, after her experience. And I know that that is not the majority of people's experiences, but it was her experience. And I thought, man, if we hadn't taken the time to really dig into that, I'm not sure what would have happened. Like there were some really beautiful people in her life who ministered to her in a really difficult thing. So when I hear, when I hear people say, I even hate the term like cafeteria Catholic, because I'm like, if it's, it's true that we all sort of do pick and choose the things that we believe in um, to some extent. And I think we all have room to grow because if I was done growing, I would not still be here. I would be in heaven. (laughs) God willing. So it's all a journey. And I think some of us just the path looks a little bit hairier or it looks a little bit harder or it feels a little bit more difficult. But I think that's who we're called to minister to. I mean, Jesus didn't Jesus didn't line up all the really fabulous holy people yeah. and hang out with them. He hung out with all the people that really had a long way to go to get to Jesus. 
So if that's, I think if that's your experience of Catholics, um, maybe seek out some people who are, I guess what we would call good Catholics, but maybe seek out some different people and get a different perspective of the faith and then sort of put the, the two together and say, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some commonality in here somewhere. But uh, unfortunately, I think for the church, a lot of times the the Catholics who seem to make really publicly bad decisions are the ones who are always in the news or the ones who we always hear about or the ways in which they fail the church. We're like, look, look what they're doing. And I think, man, thank God we have a merciful God and thank, I'm, thank God I'm not him because my mercy and justice doesn't go very far, <laughs> but his does. So I tend to err on the side of being a little bit more merciful um, and reminding people that we all have we all have a journey to get to Jesus. Just some of us have a little bit straighter or a little bit more crooked path to get there. Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. I had Randy Boyagoda, who's a Canadian Catholic author out here in Canada on the show talking about, I asked him a question like this about uh, Catholic role models and, and Catholic and seeing Catholics and, and how you, how you wrestle with that tension of seeing bad Catholics. And he said, well, yeah, well, you know, when I was younger, I would have seen that guy, you know, smoking, smoking a joint and then going to mass the next day and said, Oh, he's not really a Catholic. Now that I'm more mature, he said, I see that as well, that guy's he's at mass. Like he's trying. Like he's he's doing something. Whether or not he understands that that that, that doobie he had the night before was was maybe a bad idea and he's not living the, the Catholic life as he should be, he's at mass. Like he's taking a step, he's there, and God can meet him there and and, and give him that grace. And that perspective shift, I think, it comes with age, I, I think, uh, in many cases, but that's a really important shift to make right that <laughs> they're there well, and, it, and right? it should remind us not to give up on people yeah. because i think if the priests some of the priests that serve in our own diocese in fact the priest at our parish right now did not complete confirmation until he was an adult he blew it off and it wasn't until someone asked <laughs> for him to be their child's godfather that was like they were like well in order to do that you're gonna have to get confirmed and it pulled him back to the church wow. and now he's a priest and he's studying canon law. I mean, this guy's <laughs> legit. And I think people didn't give up on him. So don't give up. I mean, if you see, if you see something in someone and you think, man, we got to magnify the good and minimize the bad. Uh, we tell our kids every day, you're not, you're not bad. Good people make bad choices, but you are not the totality of your choices. And I think we got to not give up on people. And, and to just continue to shine the lot of cross with people and obviously have good boundaries because some people are not healthy for you, <laughs> but there is, I guarantee you, there's somebody in your life who is counting on you not to give up on them and you just might help get them to heaven. So keep that in mind. And now I sound like a mom that sounded like a Ted talk. I'm sorry, but yeah, don't give up on people. They need you. This is a Ted talk now. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's great. I was thinking. I was thinking that sounds like a mom as you were saying that. that too, so. But in a good way. In a good way. In a very heartfelt mom way. I love that. I love that. Let's turn this question. I think maybe on its head because the the church itself and the 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 priests and the priesthood bishops those in in leadership have made a lot of mistakes too. And there's a lot of people who are hurt by the church. We, our family had a personal encounter with, with, a, with a, a bad priest. So it's, it hits home for even us, which is hard to believe because I would have been surprised to, you know, 10 years ago, you know, if someone told me, oh, you're going to have an encounter with a bad priest because I thought, oh, yeah, they exist, but they're, they're out there. They're, they're not me. No. Uh, but it happens, right? And and there's scandals. There's, there's, there's problems in the church. So, I mean, I, I don't know how you wrestled with this 
you're becoming Catholic is even a question for you. I, I kind of became Catholic when the spotlight scandal was kind of breaking, and people would say mm-hmm. to me, they stopped me and say, hey, are you sure? You're going to become Catholic? Look at this church. It's in complete scandal. It's in disarray. Why would you want to be part of that? My answer was always, well, because I think it's true. And I know, and, and it's not made, it's not, the, the, the people making the mistakes aren't the sum total of, of the church. And I have to, I have to go there and, and, and grow in that. And I, and I, and I think it's true. Right? How did you or do you wrestle with that? Because I mean, scandals are ongoing, right? It's not like as if it's all in the past. It's they're they're still unfolding. And how do you follow Christ and love Christ when the church sometimes is is not doing that as well? Well, I think I was blissfully ignorant when I first joined the church. Didn't believe really maybe that people were telling the truth or that wasn't really as big of a deal as people were making it. And then a few years later, uh, and I wrote about this in my book too, when I talk, I have a chapter specifically about priests. Um, There was a priest that was very close to our family. I'll say it that way. And uh, we found out later that he was absolutely involved in a sexual abuse case, um, died of HIV. And it, it rocked me personally. I stayed away from the confessional for a very long time because I didn't trust yeah. that this was someone that we really trusted. And so I know, and I believe that when that kind of harm comes, particularly from within the church, it should be dealt with swiftly and harshly because, um, those, while yes, they are good people who made bad choices, but they're people who made choices that destroyed some people's face and some people's um, security in their lives. And so to me, that is, it's not unforgivable, but, but it is, it is difficult to, to really reconcile that. And as you hear other things come up, uh, the schools in Canada, the residential schools, I mean, there are so, I mean, we have a long list of things that just make you sick to your stomach. So I don't want to minimize that pain because we're certainly experienced it on a personal level in our own family. But I think I did go back to, there's no other church that I would be in. um, And it's the church that I love, not always the people in the church and not always the people that are leading the church. And that's why I think it's really important as lay people that we call people to task and make them be accountable. My husband actually works for a bishop. So we see it in a different light at our house that it's important that those bishops surround themselves with good lay people that will keep them accountable and that, and that we are always seeking out and always praying for those who lead the church, that they lead it with integrity and with honesty. And when they don't, that we deal with that. And we bring that. In fact, we just told our kids this the other day, we're like evil lies in the darkness. It's only when we shed light on it, that it can be redeemed and that it can be um, healed by God. So when something is perverse or horrible or terrible, bring it out into the lot because it is the only way that you can heal the wound and it's painful and it hurts and it's hard, but we've dealt with that and with some of our kids interactions with the church and we're like, you got to bring it out into the lot. And so we don't shy away. I mean, I think that's maybe our biggest takeaway is just don't shy away from having the hard conversations or dealing with the hard things, because I do think it, I think it deepens your faith, but it also makes you rely more on Jesus than it does on the church. And that's really at the end of the day where we should be putting our faith is in him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, be- I became Catholic with this starry-eyed vision of what a what a priest was, and in many cases, that's true, right? You spoke of this fantastic priest that that, that yeah. you know, right? 
but it it can't be this this fantasy starry eyed vision of all these perfect these perfect priests because they're still they're still people right they'll make mistakes and yeah there there is that 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 tendency when there is a priesthood to put your faith in in that person right versus Christ and it is a, it is a disorienting thing when that thing falls apart I, I, we have a very similar story it sounds like it's disorienting that experience but but yeah. You recognize that yes, you, you call those things out. That one incident isn't isn't the whole church, and you focus on Christ. You refocus on where your faith ought to be. I, I think it's a it's certainly a, a, a turnoff, a detractor. It, it weakens our evangelization as Catholics when the church is falling apart around us in many places, or or it seems to be that way. But I, I, for me, I think maybe you'd agree. We got to keep emphasizing the core of that: Jesus, the Eucharist, the Mass, the sacraments, the, the power of those things, yeah. even when those things are corrupted sometimes by by priests who have made some very tragic choices. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm always a little hesitant when people like celebrity priests or whatever. I'm like, remember, yeah. don't make the pedestal too yeah. high because the fall is very far. And uh, we should obviously pray for religious sisters and priests that lead us. But remember who you serve. Remember who's getting you to heaven. And while the priest or the sister or the deacon um, or the brother may be the conduit of the Holy Spirit, they are not the Holy Spirit. And so I think you have to remember who you worship, remember who gives you eternal life. And I think that helps put things into perspective that people just will always disappoint you. <laughs> they're, they're imperfect. I'm going to disappoint the people that I love and, um, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. So the grace has to be there, but we always have to keep our eye fixated on the crucifix, what we see in church and who, um, and who really fills us with the grace. It's not the words of the priests, but it's, um, it's the life giving promise of Christ. So I think if we keep our focus there, I think it helps us keep things hard news that comes in the world, whether it's in the church or outside the church in perspective, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Cause I got a lot of questions for Jesus if, and when I get to heaven <laughs> and this is at the top, but yeah, that's at least what we do. And uh, it's difficult, hard, holy work for sure. Yeah. And the core of the sacraments, which is, this is what, what I love are the words of Christ, right? Even in something as hard as going back to confession that I've, I've been there after there've been abuses that have taken place in some of those situations, the words that priest speaks when, when you get back there eventually are, are still the words of Jesus, like put on, put on his lips, right? So it's, it's Christ coming to meet us in all those sacraments in, in the Eucharist and confirmation and confession it's it's Christ coming to, to meet us and to, yeah. to give us a holy moment, even if our hangups are, are, are priests letting us down, and even if it comes through a priest, which sometimes might be a hard thing to, to grapple with if we bring, bring in trauma to that thing, it is Christ meeting us in a very real sense, and it's his words being, being spoken every, every single time. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, here lately I've been doing uh, Bible in a Year, which I grew up reciting the books of the Bible, or at least all the non-Catholic ones. Um, there's a few more that I had to sneak yeah. in, like Maccabees and wisdom that I had to learn. But it does help you fall back in love with the letters um, that Jesus wrote to us, you know, the parables that he shared. And so there's a lot of healing that can happen. I think when you dive back into scripture and realize, man, these are, is full of love letters. And so when you go, when you go to mass, you're like, yep, 
Genesis was pretty messed up. That would be a hard R rating if it were ever made into a movie. So my life is maybe not as messy as I thought. And God's redeeming power is significantly bigger than what I thought. So I do think rooting yourself in that sort of thing keeps you grounded and what saves you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Can we talk for a second about the sacraments? Because these are something that I think I was certainly unfamiliar with as a non-Catholic Christian. And I think a lot of uh, you know listeners who who grew up in, in an evangelical Baptist background or Pentecostal or or what have you, non-denominational uh, sacraments are are a weird thing. Like, what does that even mean? Talk to me for a minute about how the sacraments maybe enliven your faith, because. For me, it's a total shift in how I understood my faith. Is these real tangible things we come back to again and again and again in the Eucharist and confession. These things have really changed how I understand my faith and interact with with, with Christ and, and meet Christ on a, on a weekly or even daily in some cases uh, with daily Mass. How have you experienced the sacraments and how has that maybe kind of shifted how you do your faith and, and pass on your faith to your kids and live as a family of, of faith? I think as a young adult, newly married, the sacraments were cool, but I was like, whatever, that's cool. <laughs> it wasn't until my children started experiencing the sacraments yeah, yeah. that I really started to say, I think there might be something to these things. <laughs> so I always say, I'm not sure that I fully appreciated my own confirmation and my own first communion and my first reconciliation. But when I saw them happen through the eyes of my children, and as we prepared our children, certainly through the Catholic school, and then now, believe it or not, I taught religious education yesterday to first graders. And then the day before I taught religious education to 15 year olds preparing <laughs> for confirmation. So it certainly takes on a, a whole new lot. I love how intentional they are. I love that you know that when a baby's being baptized, that not only are they going to smell really good because chrism is addictive. That yeah. stuff smells amazing. It's kids. <laughs> but it, oh man, and confirmation too. I go up to all my kids and I sniff their foreheads because they smell so good. But I do think there is, there are, there's purpose. The words matter. The actions matter. The form matters. And I think it's one of, like, I think it's our biggest selling point as Catholics. Like, I feel like we should be advertising that. Like, this is super central to our faith. And for me, they've become even more meaningful as my children have gotten older. And certainly we've had um, three of our children have chosen confirmation uh, of the six have been old enough. And I just weep. I mean, I, I cried all the sacraments, the first communion I cry. I mean, I'm a big crier <laughs> at sacrament. I don't cry at anything else, but at sacraments, it's all she wrote. <laughs> I'm definitely going to cry because they're so, you can see God's grace in it. I'm going to cry. Yeah. You can see God's grace in a really <laughs> tangible way. Yeah, and yeah, it's my yeah. favorite, hands down, favorite part of being a part of the church. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's, that's very well said. And it, I agree with you wholeheartedly, right? It's, it makes it makes sense when you experience it. You go, yeah, this is obviously what was intended when when Christ said, Con- "Confess your sins." When Christ said, "Do this in memory of me." When He said, "This is my body, it's my blood." Th- these things were, were were abstract for me as a as a non sacramental Christian, right? But becoming Catholic, I, you suddenly see. You know, before we had kids, I went to I went to the, the gym. I mentioned that, and then to mass afterwards every single day for a number of years. My schedule permitted that, I, I, and then work afterwards. So I was I was fit physically and and spiritually. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. Well, I don't know why I even said that. 
<laughs> but that daily rhythm of going to mass, receiving receiving Jesus in the in the sacrament, that was an incredible experience, and it it made so much sense to me. I said, yeah, this is exactly what what Christ intended for His church to do to receive this this these physical things. It it, it made it made sense in my in my in my soul and my body, and it, I I would, would felt on fire right with these sacraments, and like you say. You know, to seeing your kids going through that—that's an amazing experience too. And as a selling point, I I wholeheartedly agree that 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 is such a emphasizing that the sacramental living, like that 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 life, that that cycle of the sacraments. That's got to be that's got to be our selling feature, right? That's an amazing thing that I don't think that enough Catholics appreciate. Never mind for us to then share that as an evangelical tool with those who are. Who are looking into the church, right? Yeah, and they're also really healing. I mean, I think sometimes when we hear healing, we maybe think of confession or reconciliation. But for me, um, a little over a year ago, my dad passed away, and really the only time you know that I feel connected to him in a heavenly way is at the Eucharist, at the table of the Eucharist, oh. and particularly at funerals when you receive communion at a funeral. I'm like, oh, hey, Dad. You know, so I think that it, we call it uh, thin places, you know, where, where heaven meets earth and it's in the sacraments that we are so close to Jesus. We can just, I'm a big um, of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is like my guy. Yeah. And that's the moment that he feels just like he is right there. And I think it's why I've found myself certainly in the last year, but, but as my kids have received sacraments that I'm so drawn to those because they feel so holy. And I think in our, in our being, we're called to holiness. And I think that's why we have this, I'm not a theologian. This is just a mom of six telling your own theology, but (laughs) it's why I feel so connected to Jesus and the sacraments is because that's where I feel the call to holiness is, I mean, cause you can, it's palpable. His presence is palpable. Oh, yeah. So I think it's why I sniff random 16 year old kids <laughs> foreheads at confirmation. And it's why I weep for them, even though they are not my own children, because I know that even though they may not know the graces that they are receiving, I see it. And I know that Jesus sees it and he doses it out to us just in the moments that we need. And so to know that he's doing that and to see it happen, I'm just, I'm a mess every time. It's the best. <laughs> I I thought it was your kids' heads you were sniffing. It's now it's random kids' heads you were sniffing. Yeah, so <laughs> I prepare these kids, and then I just I mean I do smell my own kids. Now I understand. Like, yeah, yeah. The story's even more strange. My small group, yeah. and I'm like, can I smell your head? And they're like, sure, Miss Whitaker, it's fine. <laughs> they know I'm gonna do it. I tell them ahead of time. Oh, that's amazing. It does sound fan- it does smell fantastic. I can oh, I can so from you with that. I think that's an amazing. Oh, that's a great. That's a fantastic way of putting that. I think of my first experience going to adoration right or for the mm. those listeners who don't know what that is we as catholics believe that christ is present in the eucharist right so a consecrated eucharist consecrated host is 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 jesus in all but appearance and so you can you can you can put that out you can display that in the church and and you're there in the presence of christ in in a very in a tangible way i mean that really blew my mind when i first experienced that i i I walked in in this beautiful, this beautiful older church in a, in a nearby town, and I was just floored. It just it it felt like the air felt charged with electricity. Now I'm I'm charismatic slightly in my my background, so maybe I'm more prone to f- these feelings of electricity in the air. I don't know if I'm manifesting this, but it felt different. 
it felt different to think that, that Christ is right, really there. And then that's also this true, true in the sacraments, right? It's, and I love that, the, the, the thin places. Like that's such a good way of, of putting it, right? All those sacraments, we talk about the, the veil being drawn back, the veil being torn in two, right? When, when Christ died on the cross. Well, well there it is. Right? there's that veil in its, in its most thin, most, most thinnest possible form, those places where, where we meet God, where we hear the words of Christ in the Eucharist through the mouth of the priest, and, and, and Christ comes down to, to meet us, for, for us to, gosh, to, to consume him, to become more like him. Like that, how much more thin could you get than those experiences, right? It doesn't get anything. <laughs> I love that. That's that's fantastic. Okay, are there any? I'm going to ask you in a second to tell us where people can can buy your fantastic book and read more about you and follow you because you are a joy to follow uh, on social oh, media. You. you really you really are. There's a lot of not great people to follow out there. A lot of a lot of joy stealers, but you are one of the, the those really those joyful people to, to really follow. And and so thank you for that. But I want to ask you one more thing before that, and that's just. What would you say to the person who is who is hearing your journey, who is looking at at the experiences that that you have had, and wondering what their next step should be? So they're on the outside, they're looking at the Catholic Church and going, "I don't know." Like she sounds kind of like how it sounds as an evangelical. Like I, I, that experience resonates with me. It, it sounds it sounds cool, but I don't I don't know what what for you would be the next step to a person who's kind of wondering if if this Catholic thing is is worth a go. Just start asking some questions and trust me, none of them are going to be dumber than the ones that I asked. I'll give you an example. None of the, no question that they can ask is dumber than this one. So I asked my husband, I said, how do you tell all the difference between all the different popes? There's Pope John Paul II, but like y'all have had a couple hundred popes. Like, how do you tell the difference between, is this like the 150th Pope John Paul II? And he was like, Catherine, what are you talking about? He said, there's only like, they all take different names. I thought every Pope had been named Pope John Paul II. I had no clue. I was like, why is there not a Pope John Paul I? So yeah, so no question that they can ask is too dumb. So I would start asking questions, both of, of people that, um, that they know, you know, in real life, like Catholics that they know in real life, the local priest and their parish, and then Catholics online that, that they think may be able, maybe they have something in common with them. Um, but I think asking questions, reading things, um, encyclicals that the popes have written, but also just normal people that write books or normal people that write uh, reflections and like the word on fire or, you know, there are so many different resources out there for both men and women. And so I would say just be curious because when you're curious is when you grow and when you learn and that's how you grow in faith and relationship with Jesus is hopefully you never lose that curiosity. So I'd say keep asking. And again, they're not going to ask any dumb questions. I've already asked them all. So <laughs> ask the questions, uh, find good, holy people that they can get to know. And I mean, my hope is that, is that the people that they're getting to know are not like weird Catholics, but like just normal. <laughs> we love Jesus kind of Catholics. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Normal. We love Jesus kind of Catholics that, are encouraged that they're like, I love that you're, that you want to learn more about the church. What questions do you have? Let's talk about it. So that would be my encouragement to them is just ask, ask all the questions and hopefully that will never end. Hopefully you'll keep asking yeah. questions right up until you get to St. Peter. That's the goal. That's, that sounds fantastic. I can't understand that there was no John Paul the first in your mind. There was, there were always just called the, 
I thought that there had been like a hundred Pope amazing. John Paul the first and like a hundred Pope John Paul the seconds. And how in the world do you differentiate them all? That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. I see There's so many from. more, but I'll just start with that one. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's fantastic. Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I hope listeners will enjoy this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they will. Uh, please tell them where they can go to find out more about you. I'll put links in the show notes to your book and, and your website and uh, where they can find you. But but where do you want to point them towards in particular? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. If there's anyone out there that still loves Pinterest, at Catherine Whitaker TX. And then don't go looking for me on Twitter. I'm not over there. And then my website is CatherineWhitaker.net. So I'm almost always Instagram's my favorite and I'm usually in stories over there. So that's where you can find me online. Yeah. As I mentioned, they're a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's great joy and lots of good Dr. Pepper content, which for those of us who always. love that, yeah, who love <laughs> yes. that kind of Coke. Can, yeah. can, can and then and then on my website and usually I think it's even on social media there's links to my book so the name yeah. of my book is called Live Big Love Bigger Getting Real with Barbecue Sweet Tea and a whole lot of Jesus because I'm Texan so they'll like uh, they'll get at that and then if they want to hear the audiobook it's actually on Audible and I'm the one that reads it so the priest that wrote the forward is a New Yorker so you hear his New York accent in the forward and then you hear my Texan accent the rest of the time so <laughs> I was going to ask you if you read the audiobook and I was hoping that the answer was yes I and, did and now we know so I'll put links to those also in, in the show notes because how much more fun would it be to, to, to read the book than to have you read it to us? That's a great way of doing that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I, I want to say God bless you and, and the work you're doing for the church and okay. in, in your writing and your speaking and your bringing the, the, the joy of Christ to, to all of us. Thank you so much and, and, and God bless. Take care. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it, friends. My conversation with Catherine Whitaker. I think it was a fantastic one. I hope that you enjoyed that too. Please let me know uh, comments on on this uh, on the show on on YouTube if you're listening there. I guess you wouldn't be if you're on a podcast here, but maybe you are in both places. Leave a comment there or or email me more practically, cordialcatholic at gmail.com or find me at cordialcatholic on Twitter and Instagram. We are uh, on Facebook at The Cordial Catholic and uh, thecordialcatholic.com is our website for show notes and, and all kinds of links and those kinds of things. Please do find Catherine's things. They're linked in the show notes as well. Her fantastic book and her website and her, and her uh, fantastic joyful uh, Instagram presence as well. You'll you'll love following her. I, I guarantee you will. That's my promise to you. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. Uh, that's really appreciated. It goes back into helping this show to keep going and, and growing. Find those links in the show notes as well for this show and how you can support this show. If you're listening on iTunes or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review if you can. Those ratings really help push the podcast out to new people. They, they look for those things, those ratings and reviews when you're when looking for a podcast. And so those are really important to spreading this word. Uh, tell a friend as well, guys. And please do pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you each and every week. And I, I appreciate your prayers as well for this, this show. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Take care. I'll talk to you again next week. And God bless. Take care, guys.
This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.